Good morning, it is 11.07, and Jennifer Bukowski, the inimitable Jennifer Bukowski, is with us. Brilliant criminal defense attorney and political activist on board with us this morning. Uh, we have run the gamut uh, from uh, Elton's, uh, Elton, Elon's uh, uh, probes and the, the Twitter releases and uh, what Democrats will do if Warnock wins. Or We've got a couple more hot stories here. One rather odd one about a teacher who... I'm, a, or, I'm sorry, principal, who uh, I imagine uh, picked Disneyland as the place to end it all so that he could terrify kids. Uh, what <laughs> This guy, a principal, 51 years old, jumped to his death from the Disneyland parking lot. Um, give me the details here, Jen. Okay, so this 51-year-old guy was married... Uh, secretly, apparently, for the last three and a half years to this woman, Marlene, who has two young daughters. And he had recently been arrested after the wife called uh, called the police during an intense verbal argument that they had, which led to him getting arrested. He had never been in trouble before. And I guess he felt like his life was over because of this, because he was put on indefinite leave from his job until the situation got resolved. Because I guess they arrested him for endangerment of the welfare of a child. So I don't have the court filings for that case, so I don't know exactly what went on with it. But I, I don't know what kind of attorney that he talked to that he thought his whole life was over because of this. Because you don't, she, he says in this post that I think she regrets making that call. But this guy, in a huge Facebook suicide note, says, be kind to each other. And uh, please treat each other with kindness and grace. There's too much anger in the world. Then he proceeds to jump off a parking garage during a candlelight ceremony where tons of kids and their families had uh, gathered, plunged to his death at Disneyland, where his father had a big job as uh, he worked there as a musician, like as the head of, um, head of like, uh, some high up post he was like a composer or something so i guess he had a special connection there but it's just ironic that you're telling everyone that be kind to each other and uh treat each other better but then you're blaming your wife that you say that you love for your death and you're traumatizing all kinds of people that you kill yourself in front of that just shows that he has a lack of awareness there yeah those kids will remember that jump for a long long time and so uh, the, I mean, the girls and the, his stepdaughters and his wife are going to be traumatized by this. And so it's pretty just remarkable. And it's just a strange story that I thought was kind of interesting because it blends so many different things between people oversharing on Facebook and using that to weaponize things against each other with the criminal justice system. This guy's shocked. He's like, an innocent man can be jailed. You were arrested and bailed out. Okay? Like, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a sad story, basically. He'd Coming. been a principal like 21 years, though, so I guess he had had it together as a functioning adult. Coming up, by the way, at 1135, uh, the uh, news god of Zimmer Radio, Brian Houseworth, is going to be on board. A murder, an arrest, charges filed. We'll find out all the details. 
That'll be 1135. Right now, if you just turn the radio on, Jennifer Bukowski is with us. And, uh, well, it appears that there is going to be a new Netflix program. And uh, there is. is a, uh, Harry and Meghan are back at it again, and there's a clip from it. I don't know if Brian had a chance to pull it. Well, it doesn't matter if Brian had a chance to pull it. I pulled it. It's really hard. Hey, to look at you, Gary. Now and go, what on earth happened? You hear that? That is the sound of hearts breaking all around the world. She's becoming a royal rock star. Everything changed. There's a hierarchy of the family. You know, there's leaking, but there's also planting of stories. There was a war against Meghan to suit other people's genders. It's about hatred. It's about race. It's a dirty game. Pain and suffering of women marrying into this institution, this feeding frenzy. I realized they're never going to protect you. Well... It appears that she's been vic- she's a victim. I know, Gary. You know, it's just amazing that one can grow up in America to be a beautiful, successful actress, marry a prince, literally, and still be a victim. That's how far we've come in society. Everyone gets to be a victim, including Meghan Markle. She knew what she was getting into. You know, there is a hierarchy within the family. It's the monarchy. William is the heir. You're second in line. So your wife is going to be like the second most important wife. And that should have been obvious to everyone going in. She knew what she was getting into. And she's still complaining and whining. And they're just making bank off of just their status as royals. She's not making money off of her, you know, roles in suits or like beautiful girl gets caught giving, you know, uh, a sex act to someone. Uh, that was her other big title that she had in her acting career. It's just pretty sad that this is uh, the level that they're stooping to here, but it's, it's to be expected that they're trashing the royal family. But if you watch The Crown, I mean, Queen Elizabeth was the best one. She just had a sense of duty and responsibility and that's what's missing now everyone is about oh what am i entitled to instead of what are my responsibilities what are the things what are my duties uh, there's the coin flip now and people don't think that way anymore seems like well she's not so special my wife married a prince too <laughs> i'm just saying oh, Brian, you got to get that cough checked. Uh, that ah, is, that that's just terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that again. Yeah, Megan, Megan is such a liar, too. I just can't stand her. She wanted, she wants to be the most famous woman in the world. And so she's on her way there. She's quite famous now. And that's why she went after a prince. She claimed that she didn't know much about the royal family and didn't really know them. That was a complete lie. Her high school friend said she was, like, obsessed with Diana. They read books and watched movies and everything when Princess Diana died. She definitely was well aware of who Prince Harry was, and that's what interested her in him, and she wanted to be in this royal thing. And now she's still using it, but she's attacking it at the same time. It's just so disloyal. It's uh, it's ridiculous. And this racism thing, 
it just defies belief. Like, nothing racist happened to her. Allegedly, one family member said, oh, I wonder what the kid will look like. What is so wrong about wondering about that? You know? Well, kids... Did you think it's bad that they might have... I mean, Megan is very light-skinned, you know, mixed-race person. Wondering what their kids will look like is something that you always do when a new couple gets married. So you kind of wonder, oh, well, I wonder, you know, are they going to be tall like you or short like you? Are they going to have green eyes like him? Or, you know, will they be redheads? You always, that's just a normal thing to wonder. That doesn't mean that you're a big, there's a big racist lying within that family. Well, I frankly don't care about her. And I'm not really all that interested in the in the in the uh, uh, the royal family. That's that's their milieu over there. I I don't really uh, you know, pay I'm much attention jealous. to it. I'm gonna with self-loathing. I'm probably gonna end up watching this Netflix thing because for whatever reason, I uh, just keep track of these royals. I watch The Crown. I always read up on them, and I, I don't know why. It's just so interesting to me. See, if you quit like, watching it... It's like something from a bygone era that's still around, so that part of it's a little fascinating, I guess. You know, there's the romanticism with that in general. Yeah, I don't Jennifer, know. if you quit watching it, the ratings will plummet, and the show will go away. But I can't help myself. I watch all this crap anyway, Gary. I can't... <laughs> okay. Uh, Jennifer Bukowski is our guest. Uh, blatantly unconstitutional, strict gun law faces new NRA-backed legal challenge. And finally, we will wrap up with the most read Washington Post article right now is out of Columbia, Missouri. That's coming up next. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. 20 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Coming up in about uh, a little over five minutes, uh, we will have uh, Brian Houseworth, a news god on board, a murder, charges filed. Uh, we'll find out what's going on and who was arrested and what happened. In the meantime, Jennifer Bukowski is with us. She is a, a political activist and a brilliant criminal defense attorney. And she has brought to the table several stories, study, stories that she wants to talk about including a gun control law that was declared blatantly unconstitutional. Well, do tell. Well, it hasn't been declared unconstitutional yet. but well, I would as say a, it is. I declare it. Well, I declare it as well. But the day after tomorrow, like gun sales in Oregon will basically stop unless the judge intervenes because... The voters, by constitutional uh, amendment, decided to adopt something that puts all these limits on, um, like, magazine capacities and requires you to get some sort of test uh, for firearm safety training, hands-on firearm training and fingerprinting, in order to get a permit to purchase a firearm. The problem is they don't have any of those classes available right now. So... If they don't have the class for you to be able to get a permit, you're not going to be able to buy a gun in Oregon starting the day after tomorrow. And so there's this new NRA-backed challenge uh, to that law, which I would expect that they will get an injunction on that law on the books. And it only passed with a 50.65% of the vote last month. And that is just something that just is generally becoming problematic 
when we're deciding all these policy matters, you know, by initiative petition, I think the threshold should be higher in Missouri and other places before we are all agreeing on complex things written. And the, you're right, you're uh, agreeing on language that, you know, lawyers working for one particular side just crafted exactly what they wanted. Then they just try to get just enough voters to vote for it. And then it could be an you know, not thoughtfully worded thing that no one debated over. You didn't have the opportunity to have committee amendments and everything else like you do with the legislative process and have hearings and so forth. So I think, uh, I hope that they do put an injunction on this because otherwise gun sales will stop. But it's just another example of, you know, the overuse of these initiative petitions to uh, get policies made. And incidentally, this led to a crush of sales. I mean, people were <clears throat> buying guns up there uh, like there's like they were, and apparently they were going out of style. Uh, it was a big surge, and that's but what it's happens. Hard. You can't like if I go to one time I was at uh, not Bass Pro Shop, but the one that's like that. It turns out I was in the Kansas side of Kansas City. It's hard. You can't just buy as Missouri. I had to get a firearms dealer to like accept the gun for me here in Missouri. Yep. Like, it's not like Oregon people can just drive across the state line and buy guns. They're, they're going to have to get this permit probably anyway. So they're going to be no wonder. I don't blame them. I'd rush out and buy a gun too. That's like a house to my state because it's going to be a minute before you can. Yeah. And they took advantage of that time uh, to buy up what they could get their hands on. Uh, I, I declare it uh, definitely unconstitutional. Uh, there's, by the way, a bunch of great stories at Gary on Guns right now that Brian and I have put up, uh, including one on uh, the uh, vaunted uh, black rifle, the much-hated AR-15, and the numbers of murders and mass murders that it is involved in. In the meantime, Jennifer... It's like all of them. Those assault weapons that you love so much, Gary. They're, every crime is committed with one. It's uh, what they'll have you believe, it seems like. <laughs> Well, you know, if you define an assault weapon accurately, it's anything that I use to assault you with. Could be a pen, yeah. an iron, a frying pan, a gun. They're all assault weapons if I assault you with them. Yeah, uh, there was even a case that a dangerous instrument, and whether someone who had, like, special kung fu or karate black belt, whether his hands were dangerous instruments. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you're right. Everything's an assault weapon if it's used as a weapon. Uh, the number one most read Washington Post article right now is out of little old Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, it wasn't immediately obvious that it was out of Columbia, Missouri, but it's still today the number one article. When my father died, I discovered the unmentionable stage of mourning. Relief. And then I'm reading this very personal beautifully written account uh, from this woman and she's like oh we're in a midwestern college town and Missouri you know pops up in the so yeah it turns out it's out of Columbia Missouri but uh, basically this uh, uh, the author is here she has a PhD she's married with two little kids but growing up she had a dad who wasn't like a high functioning adult because he struggled with mental illnesses and there was like kind of some role reversal in the relationship where he wanted to talk to her about all his feelings all the time and expected her to support him emotionally and overshared age-inappropriate stuff with her. And 
this dynamic went on throughout the, her life, and she felt special that he shared feelings with her, but it was kind of a burden. She even did things to expect her to support him financially, like take out a credit card for him when she was in college. But they had a close relationship. They loved each other very much. Uh, but she felt relief when he was eventually passed. She moved here. She moved him here like five years ago. And uh, it's still number one up on Washington Post. But if you go to the, I just had someone post on my Facebook. If you go to her website, Rosalie Metro, you can read it without a subscription to the Washington Post. So I encourage people to check it out. But it turns out that it's not that uncommon to experience that emotion at the passing of a loved one, one of relief. Um, and you well, don't need to feel necessarily guilty about that. It's, well, it's I like can see where if, if somebody mention. struggled for years uh, with a debilitating disease, they lived in pain, uh, and you could finally turn around and say, well, the pain is over. Um, where yeah. there might be some relief in that in that respect. Uh, of course, this is a little different, though, because he was just like kind of. Uh, they actually one of the most useful things that uh, they did, uh, she did, was start to go to counseling with her father the year before uh, he died. And the psychologist, to their both of their surprise, after listening to her dad's complaints that she had like trapped him here in an independent living facility and all these things, said that she needed to do less for him, not more. And that they had suffered enmeshment, which is when the lines between parent and child get blurred. And it had started when she was a teenager and had uh, amplified quite a bit in the last few years. But, uh, I mean, he was still a smart guy, great grandpa, stuff like that. But, yeah, it was kind of a relief when he did pass because she doesn't have this, like, burden quite as much anymore. It was an interesting piece, for sure, and it's apparently resonating with a lot of people, because like I said, it's still, for two days in a row now, the number one most read on Washington Post. And it's read out of Columbia, Missouri. So, right. by and the way, there was is... one just a couple days ago, or yesterday, a barn burner out of Columbia, Missouri, in the Wall Street Journal. And so we're, we're punching above our weight here, and that's about a military spouse who recovered from meth addiction. <laughs> so... Yeah. It is a diverse community. Jennifer, yep. thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure to have you on. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Thank you. And you can hear from me at Esquire on Fire on Twitter in the meantime, if anyone would care to. That sounds good to me. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Gary. All right. Take care. Uh, 874-9390-800-529-5572. We'll get to the details of this uh, murder here in Columbia. The uh, charges press the... The whole story, that'll be coming up uh, about five minutes from now. In the meantime, uh, some responses. Uh, hi, Gary. The def In defense of Jennifer, uh, apparently who is a, a real big fan of the Royals, I am much like that with regard to science fiction films and shows. Have to watch. Uh, all right, Ken, what is your favorite science fiction movie of all time or show? Uh, Dwayne says, uh, which family has the longest reigning dictatorship in history, responsible for killing millions of lives? The royals in Britain. Can't believe they're still in power. They don't really have power. They're just sort of there. Uh, and then Roy says, I suggest that if you get a permit or need one, 
get a gun, your rights are already in print. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1135. The news god of Zimmer Radio is with us, Brian Houseworth. If you want to find out what's going on in Columbia, this is where you come. You come right here to Zimmer Radio and find out. And right now, I want to know if the grocery stores are going to be able to keep up with demand for generic garbage bags. My <laughs> God, man, they're going to go crazy. Well, you know, uh, Gary, I always appreciate your kind words. Always a pleasure to join you. And, uh, you know, the, the meeting last night, I will tell you, it was interesting in that the vote was unanimous, which is pretty rare for this council. It was six to nothing. Betsy Peters was unable to attend the meeting. Uh, so it was six to nothing in a lot of discussion, very passionate arguments from people in the audience on what I call sidebar issues, as you can imagine, on this. But in the end, the city council voted last night to essentially remove the requirement to use the city logo trash bags. That was the biggest thing. There also was a separate provision in here that eliminates the provision, really the requirement for the city to provide the trash bags. But again, just for people tuning in that may, and I've, again, my, uh, my Twitter feed blew up this morning with a couple of reporters, one that covers the Cardinals for KMOV, who actually works with Andy on the, uh, on the big show. He just is shocked, uh, Brendan, um, that, that this, this is still going on. It's being discussed like 10 years after he was in college. But as you and, you and I know, this has really been discussed in this town for 20, 30 years and probably will be for another 20 to 30 years. Trash is so emotional. People that came to that meeting, they all brought trash bags with them, Gary. They were hand-carrying trash bags, and they brought them up to the podium and to really to uh, to present their cause, if you will, and in the end, uh, it was effective immediately. The mayor wanted some clarification on that. So right now, if you live in Columbia, uh, the city limits, instead of having to go down and get the city logo bag, you can buy it. Let's say uh, you can buy one at Walmart. You can go down to Mosier's. You can pick your choice as opposed to before. And there's some other things we can talk about as well. But pe- people were really fired up. Equity came up last night quite a bit. And poverty came up quite a bit. And we also learned there is a big problem in this town with the illegal dumping of trash. No. So, so that is also something that uh, came up uh, in addition to the equity. You limit me to uh, this miserable little bag. And then uh, you're surprised that uh, people are just uh, bagging everything else in a generic bag and throwing it out of their car? Well, you know, it's the, there was a, a person on our Facebook page, 93.9 The Eagle Facebook. I encourage people because a lot of people weighing in about this issue. And she's being serious because I can only imagine the area. And I've asked her to be specific. She said that there's a really problem area right now on Paris Road that is full of trash that needs to be cleaned up. And it's a, it's a longtime listener here to the Eagle, someone who's very credible. And I, I did respond on our Facebook page, and I asked her to find, I'd like to find out where that is because I drive Paris, but I don't know. I haven't seen the area she's talking about, so waiting to hear back. But, yes, it takes effect immediately. And, um, Gary, the biggest thing the biggest thing last night is people had a lot of questions, and I've had them overnight that have come in. Um, one of them that I've gotten maybe the most qu- times asked is about recycling. Do, is, is, does this affect recycling bags? And it does not. You will still need to get a city logo recycling bag. However, those are free. So 
Um, what, uh, and I know Brian, Brian has a question. I think the biggest thing, if people have questions, I'd encourage them to call in while I'm here. And they can also call the city, Gary, 573-874-CITY. Yeah, yeah we just had a listener that wanted to know if they can still redeem their uh, voucher for trash bags at the local stores. I don't think that's, there's no provision in the ordinance on that. Uh, if Matt Pitzer's listening and we need to correct ourselves, but there's nothing in Brian the ordinance that would, in fact, I've seen a similar question on our Facebook page. I, I don't believe that would be... Uh, I mean, it's a $10 um, voucher that we paid for through our utility bills, and if so, folks still have those yeah, things. They're certainly valuable, right? Well, they would You don't be. just throw 10 bucks in the trash. No, no, absolutely. It's There's nothing in the ordinance that addresses that, is what I'm saying. That I've read the ordinance entirely. What I'd encourage that person to do is there is a number. Matt Pitzer encouraged everybody to call. That's 573-874-CITY and call that, and they'd be able to know that for sure. I mean, I can't speak to every single question. I've tried to answer as many as I could um, that have come in. Primarily, they're about recycling and about a couple of other more technical things. But people have a, a – Gary, they have a ton of questions on this. This just highlights to me how much this I, – I can't remember a story I've done recently where we've had this many – I mean, literally – it's 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 not just me. It's the council members. They actually, the mayor requested, please get us some 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 information so we can let our constituents know. She knew Barbara Buffalo knew they were going to get a ton of questions because the packet that was presented to the council was only two pages, and if there was one criticism of staff, they didn't give a lot of information in there. Um, and she, she and it wasn't just the mayor. The mayor. Several council members told Mr. Hunt, the solid waste utility manager, err on the side of giving more information, not less. And I'm not doing that to embarrass Mr. Hunt. I'm not. I'm simply saying that some of the stuff people are asking about is not in the ordinance or in the council packet. And I, I can't answer it without talking to, to Steve. And he's just bombarded right now, Steve Hunt. I mean, he literally, um, I mean, God, it was he was on that podium at least an hour answering questions last night just on this. Well, if, if you've got any of those bags left over at home, keep them. Yeah. Uh, they could be a collector's item someday. Uh, the only city in the country with monogram trash bags. <laughs> All right, let's continue the trash talk with Rick. He is uh, hanging on here. Rick, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? <laughs> Grand, how about yourself? Doing well, thank you. I was at the meeting. They said they will honor vouchers Good. for the ones they have left. Some will be logoed. Some will be the old black bags. Mm. I'm glad to hear that, Rick. I listened, and I did not hear that. That could have been at another point, but that is very good information. What if they run out, though, of, I don't they know. They will run out. They. It seems like they have enough for a year. They're trying to ramp up for a automated system right and they said they would have public hearings about that in the future right the logo bags the history of them was there was too many bags of all different shapes and sizes being put out and that's why they went to the logo bags right now you can do the same thing <laughs> so it's kind of comical in that respect mm -hmm. all as right long, as long as it's thank not you. not more than 50 pounds but you're 50 absolutely 50 pounds yep. as many as you want that's right exactly there you go, rick thank you for the call 
Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Let me move on because uh, sure. what is this uh, murder deal going on? Who who got killed and yeah, who got killed? I'll tell you, um, Gary, we have had, unfortunately, we've talked about it, you and I, we've had uh, a lot of violence um, this, this year in Columbia to the point where I keep a file of, of all the homicides that we have here in Columbia and Boone County, and it's just the number continues to grow. There was a shooting last night. About 6.30 in the evening, and I always have the scanner on. I did not hear it. Not everything goes out on the on the channel. It may have been on a channel. Uh, uh, you know, they go to sometimes a channel that the public can't hear. But it was on a street called Newton Drive, uh, which is up near Providence and Vandiver. Um, if people know where the old Denny's was up in that area, Providence and Vandiver, it's just to the northwest of that Newton Drive. There was a uh, a gentleman who was shot last night. His name is Aaron Badalato, last name B-A-D-O-L-A-T-O. And uh, Hannah Falcon did a fine job at our news partner, KMIZ, reporting on this last night, and I, I worked on it as well. We knew that they, the police did not or would not give, uh, maybe they didn't have it, the information on the victim's condition, which always... That's usually a, um, a sign that's not good. Uh, and we learned this morning, not too long ago, that Mr. Badalotto, um, Aaron is his first name, A-A-R-O-N, he's 34. He died uh, at a local hospital overnight. So it's not just a shooting. It is not just a homicide. It is first-degree murder that they are seeking, meaning they believe they have evidence. It is premeditated. And this is a suspect who, again, Gary, like we've reported on, in many of these cases, this guy has a criminal record. Um, yeah, I checked it this morning. The sm- victim or the, the perpetrator? The perpetrator, the suspect. The alleged, yeah. The, yeah, exactly. The, well, he's certainly a suspect, uh, the alleged perpetrator. 43-year-old, Cor- his name is Corey Lonel Blewett, B-L-U-E-I-T-T. He's not on paper, which means he's not currently on parole or probation. Uh, he's been sentenced a couple times in the last couple of years for misdemeanors, domestic, uh, domestic assault. He has several charges currently pending. Um, one of them is forgery. I see some other stuff in there, but he bonds out. Usually it's about $1,000. So there is a record there. Um, but again, I didn't see anything. Well, domestic assault being a misdemeanor is a concern. It's not a felony. But this is obviously first-degree murder to the point where it could be a death penalty case. Again, I, he has not been charged yet. That is, that, that's something they are seeking, CPD. They're seeking three felonies against him, first-degree murder, ACA armed criminal action, and also unlawful use of a weapon. So I can't go down to get the court docs on this until he is charged. He has not been. It's 11.45 right now. The only way he's going to get on the docket at 1.30 would be if they charge him, and, and they've got some time. So I, I'm not so sure um, he'll be arraigned today because the charges haven't been filed. They'd have to file them pretty quickly. More than likely, and not saying it won't happen, it could, more than likely if he gets charged, he'll be on the docket for tomorrow. But I don't have, if I had a court document, I could give you a little bit more. Um, well, I don't, but that is, and by the way, this guy was on the run, the suspect. He was captured at 245 this morning, so he was on the run for about, oh, eight, nine hours before the police caught him. Do they have eyewitnesses or video or anything to, uh, that they're... That no, you're aware of? Nothing I'm aware of, and, and uh, it's a great question. All, all of your questions is always very good. 
they have not released that. I actually did speak to the assistant police chief today, uh, Jeremiah Hunter, on the phone just to check on a couple of pronunciations. And I think, you know, he and I are on the same page on Battle and on Blewett. But no, the, uh, other than that, they're being very tight-lipped. The only the only information I'd be able to get on that will be in the court. Sometimes a lot of that stuff usually is in court documents. Um but without seeing that, because he hasn't been charged yet, until I can see those, I doubt we'll be able to know that. It, I do know that it was a very busy police presence. Um, I was kind of obviously following the Columbia City Council meeting, but Hannah Falcon was out there within minutes of the shooting. And it was a very active scene. As she pointed out in her TV report last night at 9 and 10, there were at least 10 to 15 police cars, CPD, on scene that tells you something, and it looked very busy. Now, there were people standing outside their homes, but your question is a good one. How many of them were in it? What I don't know, was this out in the a yard? Was it in the street? Was it in an apartment? I'm unclear about that. We, again, probably won't find that out until we see the uh, the court char- uh, the, the, the charges. But but that's uh, that's where we're at right now, and uh, and he is, he is jailed without bond. Blue it is at the Boone County Jail. All right. Uh, Brian, anything else of note that happened yesterday at the uh, city council meeting? As far as the council meeting, Gary, the only, on a positive, uh, we, we, nice to have something a little positive, but there is a restaurant coming to Columbia that I think is going to interest people. And I've spent some time in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I've been to Fayetteville. There are a lot of these towns this restaurant is in. I have not. I've not been to Tallahassee. I've not been to Starkville. What, what is the restaurant? Uh, it's called Walk-Ons. And it is a very co-owned by Drew Brees and former NFL star, and they have uh, what people tell me. I've not eaten there, but I've heard so much about it. Cajun ribeye. They have Louisiana catfish. They have uh, crawdads. Okay. And the burgers are so big, you have to use two hands to eat them. All right. I have to cut you short because Brian wants his paycheck to not bounce. That means we've got to go to a commercial break. Brian Hausworth, thank you for being with us. Always a pleasure, sir. Gary Nolichow, Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1154. Brian, I, I don't know that I remember this story. Uh, J.R. Dunn over at American Thinker has written a piece about Democrats voting, uh, cheating uh, during elections. And he wrote this just days before voting... In the 1993 David Dinkins Rudy Giuliani election, the New York Times reported that a number of voting machines had been found in a closed Manhattan school. All of the machines were loaded with votes for Democrat incumbent David Dinkins. Voting proceeded without the help of those machines, and of course Rudy Giuliani was elected. Uh, And that was the end of it, he writes, as far as he was able to learn. Do you remember reading about that? No. I don't. Don't remember that at all. Isn't that interesting that they would find a bunch of machines loaded with Dinkins <laughs> before the election? It's not surprising. No, not at all. Good Lord. But they, they never, I guess, actually were able to get these machines moved to the voting location? Well, I think once they were exposed, it was like, uh, oh, all right, game over. You caught us. Yes. Uh, let's see, uh, 2004 Washington State gubernatorial contest between Republican Dino Rossi and Democrat Christine Gregoire ended with Rossi up by 261 votes. A machine recount left him still ahead by 42 votes. The state Democrats paid over $700,000 for a hand recount, and what do you know? Votes started appearing from any and all conceivable sources. 
a bag containing votes here, an electoral official's car there. Uh, it's surprising they didn't start falling out of the sky like the frogs in Magnolia. By the end of the year, Gregoire was ahead by 130 votes and was inaugurated on January 12th. Rossi, God love him, continued fighting, taking Gregoire to court over the blatantly illegitimate votes. A Pierce County judge tossed the votes out, only to be overruled by the Washington State Supreme Court. A final decision didn't come for six months when Judge John Bridges, a Democrat appointee, tossed aside the concept of chain of custody defined in favor of Gregoire. Wow, they've got quite the history here. Uh, I know in Cleveland, uh, we had a, 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 a remarkable history of Democrats cheating. This one I remember, the Al Franken race. A similar chain of events occurred in the election of Al Franken in Minnesota in 2008. Uh, the incumbent, uh, Norm Coleman, originally prevailed with over 700 votes, which were mysteriously whittled down to 200 in short order. Franken called for a recount, and Begora, the votes suddenly started appearing. Some, anyway. And an envelope of votes from one county simply disappeared, but were counted regardless. The totals of evidently uh, being read out from the tea leaves. By the time all ended, Franken was ahead by 312 votes. Coleman, a Republican gentleman of the old school, made perfunctory efforts at protest, but was undercut by the Republican Party of the, uh, itself. Um, and as I recall, that uh, Franken um, installation of him <laughs> gave us Obamacare. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, it's a complete uh, history of uh, Democrats' malfeasance while voting. It's over at American Thinker, uh, and it is uh, J.R. Dunn. It was kind of an interesting piece. I thought I would pass that along while we had time. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a lot more time because, well, Glenn Beck is right behind me once in. Uh, so uh, we'll entertain that. And then Sean Hannity, Randy Tobler. Uh, we got we got the whole lineup right here. Uh, if uh, it, it, uh, what do I have in, in the way of time here? Do I have time to about a minute? About a minute. It just isn't going to be enough time. Uh, ABC laid off uh, two of their hosts. Uh, at Good Morning America. Apparently, they were having an affair, and somebody went out and got photographs of them all over town. Um, That's embarrassing. Oh yeah, nothing like being in national uh, television. And then uh, having your affair brought up. Uh, but they were taken off the air for a day or two. Um, some people th are upset. They don't think that should have happened. Others uh, think they, they, you know, they should be disgraced. Uh, the fact is, we don't have a say in that. That's completely up to management uh, at ABC. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a shame that of all the things going on in the world... That's the issue that some reporters chose to follow. we got to run whatever it is in life that you want. Go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.